living the good life. What is the good life? What does it look like to live the good life? Are we all striving towards it? Or maybe you are one of the lucky ones that have already achieved it. If so, find me after worship because I want to know what your secret is. As a society, I think we have a sense of what it is to live the good life, right? Having a, a happy family, living a healthy lifestyle. Maybe we have a diploma or two hanging on the wall. We have a job that pays a, a decent wage and provides us with a little bit of joy and fulfillment. Maybe the good life means a new car to drive every few years, a, a house big enough for our family to live in and big enough to entertain our friends. Maybe your version of the good life includes vacation and, and travel. Or maybe it's climbing up the ladder at work until you get that corner office and that big corporate title. Maybe the good life is about seeing your kids succeed or, or having the time and the, and the money to focus on your hobbies, anything from model trains to fancy sports cars. The good life could mean retiring early and having time and energy that you get to claim for your own. However you envision the good life, we all have our own understanding, our own vision of it to getting to that place where we've arrived and the sign above us reads, welcome to paradise. The good life. As I was thinking and, and planning for this sermon series on, on talking about the good life, I couldn't help but make the connection to one of my favorite television shows, the Good Place. Do we have any fans of The Good Place? Yes, we've got a few out there. That was the, the inspiration for our set for the next few weeks. The Good Place is, is a show about um, what it is to, to die and the afterlife, right? It stars Kristen Bell as Eleanor Shellstroff and Ted Danson as Michael, who is the, the architect of The Good Place. Now, uh, Kristen Bell's character, Eleanor, at the very beginning of the series, dies. And she meets Michael, and he says, Eleanor, you, you are dead. Welcome to the afterlife. And, and she kind of hesitantly asks him, she's like, well, am I, <laughs> or, uh-uh. <laughs> and he says, no, 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 Eleanor, you have made it to the good place. And then he goes on to, to welcome her, to describe to her what it is to live the good life in the good place. Take a look at how Michael explains this neighborhood in the good place. Here's a clip. So this is how it works. The good place is divided into distinct neighborhoods. Each one contains exactly 322 people who have been perfectly selected to blend together into a blissful, harmonic balance. Do all the neighborhoods look like this? No, every neighborhood is unique. Some have warm weather, some cold, some are cities, some farmland. But in each one, 
Every blade of grass, every ladybug, every detail has been precisely designed and calibrated for its residents. There's a lot of frozen yogurt places. Yeah, that's the one thing we put in all the neighborhoods. People love frozen yogurt. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know if you were able to, to catch a glimpse of the different storefronts as they walked through the neighborhood, right? Infinite light. Your anticipated needs right here behind these doors. There's even a, a clothing store called Everything Fits. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great, right? And of course, all the frozen yogurt you could ever want. The climate, the, the setting, the people, all of it in the good place is tailor-made for the individual, catered to their every want and every need. The good place is the epitome of living the good life. Now, I won't spoil the show for you. Uh, the first two seasons are streaming on Netflix, and I believe there are storms coming our way. So you've got plenty of binge time this afternoon to catch up on The Good Place, but we find out quickly in this first episode as Eleanor explores The Good Place that maybe she has ended up in the wrong place, <laughs> that everything that has been tailor-made for Eleanor is nothing how she would have ever imagined it. In fact, she comes to find out it was meant for a different Eleanor. <laughs> And so she has to figure out what she's going to do. Can she still live the good life in this good place, even if it doesn't seem like she belongs? What does the good life look like for her when paradise becomes more like torture? And she feels like she's walking through a field of cacti holding a bunch of balloons. <laughs> Now, we all imagine the good life, right? We come up with what it means for us and then plot out the path we must take to get there, to achieve it, to succeed. But what happens when we don't get there? When what we've dreamed about continues to be just out of reach? Are we simply failures, <laughs> doomed to just go through the motions of life instead of truly living? Or could it be that our understanding of the good life has been skewed? Has the paradise we've envisioned been flawed from the start? If that's the case, then we have to start asking some new questions, right? How is it that we determined what the good life even is? Who or what has, has influenced our understanding of it? And then as Christians, as followers of Christ, we might have to push even a little bit deeper. Could it be that, that who we are, our identity as Christians needs to and should influence our understanding of the good life? Does our faith impact what it means for good living and what paradise might look like? Well, we heard in our scripture reading just a few moments ago, 
one description of paradise, the very first paradise, the beginning of the good life as God originally intended. It was the Garden of Eden, a lush landscape created by God for perfect living. It was an idyllic setting of plants and trees that were fruitful enough so that its inhabitants would never go hungry. God placed man there, Adam, to live the good life in this place forever. And then as God observed when it seemed like Adam was a bit lonely, God said, well, the good life needs, needs relationship, needs companionship. And so God created all the animals that would walk the land, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and brought those to Adam. And, and then when that didn't really seem to fit, didn't really seem to fulfill the good life, God said, I will make you the perfect helper, the, the ideal companion. And so God made woman and Together they existed. Together they, they flourished. Together they lived the good life in paradise. And they had it all, right? They had a beautiful place to live. They had enough food to eat, enough work to, to fill their days, but to not be too overwhelming, right? We're, we're told that God put them in the garden to work it and to till it, and so then they could be fruitful and productive together. In this good life, they had a relationship together, a pure relationship that hadn't been tainted by sin or shame. And they had this beautiful relationship with God, God, the creator of all life, God, the one who breathed the breath of life into them, was there walking among them. A beautiful place to live, the Garden of Eden, the epitome of the good life. I mean, Eden even means delight, luxury. They had a place to delight in all the luxuries they could ever imagine. If there was a good life to live, then that was it. But as readers of the story, we know that wasn't all. That wasn't the end. It didn't last. There was one tree whose fruit they could not eat. And that tree was the beginning of the end of the good life for Adam and Eve. Now, sure, we could blame the serpent for his wily ways of sneaking in there and tricking them into thinking that God had some sort of ulterior motive. But in the end, it was the man and the woman who ate of the fruit. It was the man and the woman who decided that the good life was just not enough. They wanted, they needed something more. In his sermon on this text, the Reverend Dr. Robert Ensign, he puts it this way. He says, they didn't just want the beautiful garden to live in and enough food to eat. They wanted to own the garden more. They didn't want just the sights and the sounds and the smells and the touches of the garden. They wanted to control the garden more. 
They didn't want a God above them, a God who loved them. They wanted to become like that God, to do whatever they wanted, to make their own rules, to eat from that one tree more. Dr. Ensign goes on to say that word beat in their minds like a big bass drum, more, more, more. That word became their obsession. That word became their only thought and their only desire. More. Until, well, it all came to a crash. And in their desire for more, they lost everything. They lost the garden. They lost the cool breeze. They lost the strolls with God. And in some ways, they even lost each other lost themselves. They wanted more. They were reaching for more. They grabbed at more. And when they pulled their hand back, they were left with nothing. Empty. I said earlier that we are readers of this story, and so we know how it goes. But it's more than that, isn't it? We're more than just readers of the story. We are participants in the story. The story of Adam and Eve is the story of us. Right? We are all looking to live the good life, and that is not inherently bad. I mean, the story of creation in Genesis tells us that that is God's intention for us, to live the good life. But the problems arise when our understanding of the good life comes with more wants than needs. When achieving the good life is less celebrating what we have as enough, but reaching and grabbing and wanting more, more, more. So I think we have to decide what is the good life. And and, and to do that, we go back to the Garden of Eden and figure out what it was. What did God create that was so good that was enough for us? And in my understanding, as I hear that story read and as I seek to live out that story, it's about truly living, right? The beauty of life, experiencing the beauty of creation. It's about the the fruitfulness of life, about working alongside one another and, and working alongside God's creation to produce something Great and worthy. The Garden of Eden, it was about about relationships. Relationships that were built between man and woman. Relationships that were built between humans. And then that beautiful relationship that came between God and humans. The work that God gave us to do. Work to, to be fruitful And work to celebrate. Work to look towards a future together with one another and together with God. The good life 
as epitomized by the Garden of Eden. Shouldn't that have been enough? Isn't that enough? Well, for Adam and Eve, they didn't think it was, and I'm afraid so often we don't think it is either. We start to think that the good life is less like the Garden of Eden and more like the good place. That the good life is is a life where everything is catered to us. Everything is about our needs. And not even the needs that we want now, but our anticipated needs. What we might need in the future, it's all catered to us. And so that's what we should strive for. That's what we should live for. The good life is all about me and what I need what I want. But just like this desire for more was disastrous for Adam and Eve, we find out that it's disastrous for the characters in the good place, too. As they live their days in a place that is catered to them, they find out that that's not all it's cracked up to be. And really what makes the good place so good is the people they're with, the relationships they make, and how they continue to learn and to grow and to develop and to to live life together. That becomes the good life. So what is the good life? How do you define the good life for yourself? And how do we define it for us as a church, as the people of East Cobb United Methodist Church? I'm afraid too often in churches we fall prey to that if only problem. Right? We say, oh, well, our church is great, but we would really be living the good life of the church if only, if only we had more children around. If only our youth group was a little bit bigger. If only we went on this mission trip. If only we engaged in this service project. If only, if only, if only, then we would really be living the good life. And I'm here to say that that it's been my experience here over the past year with this body of Christ that we are living the good life together. We are living the good life because we have relationships with one another, relationships that are growing and maturing, relationships that are grounded in the love of God and the grace that we have experienced in Jesus Christ. That we are living the good life because we have a relationship with our God. And that we celebrate that and we praise our God. And so it's not that we say, well, if only, if only. But we want to celebrate that we are living the good life. And we want to invite others into that good life. Not because... We want more and more and more, but because we've said, this is great, this is amazing, and we want the whole world to know and experience that good life. And so it's my invitation today for us to reflect 
on the good life. To celebrate the good life we are already living. To give thanks to God for this invitation to the good life. And then to celebrate and invite others into the good life. To celebrate and invite others into relationship with us and into relationship with God. We're living the good life. Let's give thanks to God for it and celebrate it and hear God say to us that even when we feel that that desire for more build up inside of us, we hear God say, no, I have what you need. I will provide for you. I will love you. It's enough here and now in the good life. Will you pray with me? Holy Lord, our God, you created us with the intention of living the good life, of living in relationship with one another and in relationship with you. And yet our desire for more has gotten in the way. Help us to pause, to take a step back, to, to recognize all the good that is in our life. And to live out the good life together. The good life that is appreciating the beauty of your creation. That is engaging in fruitful living together. That is having relationships with one another and relationships with you. May we celebrate the good life together that isn't focused on us, but on you and your love, and your grace. This day and every day. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.